Welcome to Just a Phase, a podcast about modern parenting, episode 26, Tinker, Play, Learn. Uh, we're going to sit down with Melissa Leopard to talk about playing and tinkering and giving you some permission to not feel guilty about playing with your kids. Or to feel guilty, as you may. <laughs> uh, also, we will talk about Christmas trees and there will be blood. Hi, I'm Whitney Crispell. I'm mom to two girls, ages two and a half and 11 months. And I'm Drew Ludwig, father to three daughters, ages five, seven, and 10. Uh, and this is your warning that we might swear on this podcast. It's true. How are you? Life is good. Yeah? Life is very good. Yes. Um, I feel like I should have thought about what I was going to say here. <laughs> uh, do you have a good couple weeks? Yeah. Weekend? Yeah, um, the snow came, and that made my children very happy. Yeah. And uh, we started Christmas. My wife's parents, oh, well, my wife's mom and her husband come first. They visit okay. uh, in early December. Oh, I saw some photos of this on social media. Yeah, so we set up the tree, which um, I always hate, but I've gotten much better at not expressing that. and not. Getting... Why do you hate it? Um, cause I do. I, it's <laughs> just not your thing. I, I'm, I'm not a decorator. Like I'm not a nester. I'm not a, any of that. Right. And like a tree from outside in the house is like, I mean, if like, if it wasn't Christmas, if someone was like, let's take an alive thing and kill it and put it in, in the house. Right. Well, why is it going to kids are this is the first christmas that our kids haven't like messed with like last year all the ornaments were at the very top of the tree and people were like is it because of the cats and we're like no the cats are good yeah, <laughs> right? kids. so yep kids cats like they like the tree makes them crazy um and then you have to like vacuum everything up and you have to water the thing i i know i sound like such a whiner <laughs> But you asked me why I don't like Christmas trees. No, I, yeah, I hear you. So You're kind of making me hate it, too. Well, and it, <laughs> it's better, like, we got a good tree stand, but we had one of those old-style tree stands, and, like, that was the year that, like, Daddy had to take a Christmas walk because, <laughs> like, the tree fell down, like, three times while Love we were it. trying to set it up. We haven't had any trees falling down. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. so how, it, it was good? You had a good start? Yeah, it, it really was a good start. We haven't had Christmas tree fights. It hasn't fallen over. Girls weren't too like ridiculous about nice. gifts, right? Good. I, my my mother in law and her husband like gave, they gave me some cool stuff, and yeah. we gave them some cool stuff, and we ate together. And it snowed, so I shouldn't complain. No, I, that's all right, Drew. So, yeah. we, I, the I think the other reason I don't like it is like. I'm in a holiday profession right now as Oh, a yeah, minister, we've talked about that before. Right? And right? I grew up in a flower shop. So, like, it's like, eh, holidays mean work. Like, yeah. not holidays are awesome. Right. Because that's when nothing happens. And yeah. I like when nothing happens. Yeah, I had, like, a pretty serious, uh, like, Christmas logistics anxiety spiral last Ooh. night. And so my parents are divorced. Uh, Sean's parents are divorced. Sean is the youngest of four siblings, you know, so and you I have, have a brother. A lot of people to negotiate. We have a lot of people to see, and I just constantly feel. And some of it, I think, is a little bit in my head. Some of it's not, but I just I get so overwhelmed with trying to um, 
make sure I'm not disappointing yeah. anyone else. At, and but also like balancing my own family's needs and like and my desire to not spend a day driving around and like shuffling my kids everywhere and it's hard and so we've been working on like trying to really like draw boundaries and stuff but it's just so friggin' loaded and everybody's family has different expectations and traditions and my family has always been like like holidays and birthdays are really big and like seeing people on the actual day is like a really big thing and it's you, you just you can't I feel like this could be a whole show. Oh, I know. Maybe we should. I, I mean, technically, it's more about being a kid than being a parent. But it's managing your kids and your parents. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, you mean like being an adult kid. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right that it stinks. And like, I don't know. I I feel like you just have to take charge. I know. And be like, this is what we're doing. We don't like it. Okay. Yeah. And the other thing, I the, I think the other lesson that I sometimes just, I feel like I have to learn it every year is that for the most part, people are understanding. They just want to know what's going on. Like if you do yeah. draw boundaries, you just need to like be like clearly communicate them and then people can deal for the most part. I don't well, know. And this is, this is where it connects to the parenting thing is it's easier to be mean up front and then become more chill and relaxed, right? True, like that's true. The, that's what you do with kids. Right. And like, so in my job as pastor, right, sometimes I do premarital counseling and I'm like, that first year, like you just draw like firm <laughs> boundaries. You tell them what's up, right? Like right. I've got a new family. I need to spend time with this family. Yeah. This is how it's going to be. If you don't like it, you know, suck a lemon or whatever, right? Right. And then like after like you've, asserted yourself then like a couple years down the road they're like well you know we've got this you know special anniversary or whatever then you can start listening right but like right away you just like have the big fight first that's it's like when you go yeah. to jail i mean i've never gone to jail right but your first day in prison you're supposed to beat the crap out of someone oh my god I can't believe you are advocating that. Well, you're not advocating me, but yeah. no, I'm not telling yeah, anybody. I know, no, I hear you. Don't go to prison. <laughs> if if you do, no, that's I. You know what, Drew? That is that is interesting. That's I I that I'm like thinking of that piece of advice with a lot of my relationships um, with my extended family, and I feel like that would it, it would is, have helped if we had would, a time machine. No, I mean, yeah, but just being firm, and then yeah loosening up later it is a lot like that advice we give for parents i like it thank you okay. you have succeeded in bringing your like pastor hat to the podcast and when? ministering to me i appreciate it okay yeah uh, do you have anything else to to catch us up on well i did want to share it with you i'm not going to name this person but somebody did text me after the last episode and said you are so right about nick and judy from zootopia so boom <laughs> bringing truth I to the world <laughs> I think it's time for you to start your spinoff podcast. <laughs> Zootopia fan fiction. Oh my god. Oh. That would be yeah, like every every week there's like a new story about what Nick and Judy are up to. <laughs> I I I mean, if you're gonna go like just go all out and hire like voice actors. It's true. So but Love don't. It. All right. Don't. Okay. Let's get to today's interview because it's a good one. 
It's uh, a very good one. Yeah, we sat down with um, Melissa Leopard to talk about kids and playing and tinkering and yeah. It's inspiring. We have yeah. fun. Let's get to it. Today we are sitting down with Melissa Leopard from Buffalo's Tinkering School to talk about kids, hands-on learning, and the culture of play in our community and beyond. In addition to Melissa's work with the Tinkering School, she is also co-founder of Pop-Up Park Buffalo and an educator with the Buffalo Museum of Science. Melissa, thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. Uh, let's start with some of your background. Um, how did you become uh, the person that you are today? Well, I think that the person that I am today has everything to do with the fact of having, you know, two two boys, basically. That growing up, um, I had a lot of opportunities that I noticed that my kids were growing up that didn't. So uh, I spent a lot of time figuring out, okay, well, what's the best way for my kids to learn? And it was always coming back to play. And just so we have context for the rest of the interview, are your boys still boys and playing? Or? They, are, they are young adults. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so what were the opportunities that you got that they were missing? I think that the, I think that cultures of play has changed dramatically in the past, I would say, 30 years, where um, play was acceptable when we were younger, when I was younger, where it was you'd go outside, you'd play until the streetlights were on, and you'd come home. Now it's very structured, where the parent is actually co-playing with the child, and I think that we're missing out significantly on play and imagination through children. I think that we are um, at a deficit of play currently. And did you see that, like, in your children? Like, was that uh, was there like a moment where you woke up and thought? My, my kids don't play. or Right, right. And it, I, I did notice that. And I kind of watched, you know, as a new mom, you watch how other moms are behaving. And so I would notice that moms were really involved in play. And the kids were wanting to play. And the parents would kind of correct them. Like, no, 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 you need to use the teapot like this. And I thought, wait a minute. This is nuts that, that you know, let the children be children. Let the kids figure out on their own the importance of play and how to problem solve on their own. I mean, I found that very frustrating. And so I pulled back and started researching and started getting very involved in education. And I left corporate America and I went into education. I got my master's in education right away. Um, I did a literacy book on the importance of read reading to your child and began um, researching tinkering school. Okay, so yeah, this really became, this was not just a problem that you saw in your own home, but it became something much larger that you wanted to tackle. Absolutely. Um, what, do you, what do you think caused that shift? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of answers, actually. Right. I, think, I think that as far as the shift, I think it, I like to point the finger at education. Mm. I like to point the finger at the school system and what we're doing to kids and changing them from curious, imaginative, fun-loving, uh, interested in everything to uh, testing and worksheets and drilling, rote learning. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm noticing significantly. And it is changing a little bit here and there, but I think overall it is, uh, it is our institution education to blame for the problems we're having right now yeah. in play. That helps me, like, put put some things together in my mind because my first thought like when you had your epiphany and then what you did was wow she changed jobs and got a master's degree to let her kids play like <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly 
they know how to do that. But you have to make the case to other people, right? right like right. you would be like, oh, I just let my kids play. And then someone with a degree says, well, we know better, right? right. And, then, and you can say, no, I got the degree. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> like this is actually really good for kids. Right, right. It's a very expensive toy, my master's degree. <laughs> <laughs> so can you, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the tinkering school? I mean, sure. is it? Is it what it sounds like? Right, I would I would love to. So Tinkering School started with Gaber Tully, who um, you may know as a um, author of Fifty Dangerous Things You Should Let Your Children Do. Mm. Yeah. We're gonna link to that yeah. in the show and, uh, notes. Uh, I want to buy that. It's it's. Well, you're an expert. Are you fifty for fifty? Oh, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah, that was that was part of the program. So uh, so Gaber uh, started this program. He noticed that kids were lacking in. Um, sort of intuitive engineering skills. So kids didn't know how to take apart things. Kids didn't know how to drill or hammer. And he started a school in his barn um, about 11 or 12 years ago. I'm sorry, Gabriel, I'm not exactly sure, but I think it's 12 years ago. And from that tinkering school uh, in San Francisco came the tinkering school in Austin and um, tinkering school Buffalo. So we went to Gaver and we learned his pedagogy and uh, felt very strongly about it and started our own camps. Um, and we have, I think, a total of five in the U.S. right now, tinkering schools. So it's primarily camp-based? It happens during the summer? or Right. So tinkering school happens in the summer, typically, in workshops on the weekends. Um, Gaver actually started his own school, along with a couple other like-minded people in California, called Brightworks. And that's a spectacular, uh, you know, example of what kinds of education we need in general in the U.S. So if my kid goes to Tinkering School, I sign them up for a, a class, what are they going to do? Uh, well, we base it solely on the kinds of materials that we have. So, for example, I might have a lot of two-by-fours and washers. And so the kids come to Tinkering School and they, we say, well, what do you want to build? What are the kinds of things you want to build? Um, and we specifically designed the build as big builds. They're not these miniature builds that don't really matter. They're actually physical, big-sized builds that you can play on. So kids learn how to drill and hammer and saw um, through a series of trainings, and then they build what they, what they feel is necessary for the materials, which is really exciting, because that's when imagination kicks in, when you don't say exactly what you want to build, what they should build, you let them build it, and it's it's really empowering to watch them. Yeah, it sounds empowering. Yeah, I'm just I'm thinking too, like, but the as you're saying this, you know, I I I'm a parent. I don't have a lot of skills. So like, I'm 33. I'm from a generation that was also really focused on testing, or maybe mm -hmm. at the beginning of that. And now I'm raising another kid that's in this, and I don't have those. I, I mean, I could I could teach you stuff, but yeah, it's not intuitive to me those engineering skills that you were talking about. So I I love that the Tinkering School exists and yeah, it's it's Gaver uses this as engineering as a metaphor for life. That you know by providing real tools and real materials and real danger, uh, kids are able to understand how to work with things and predict problems before they happen and are mindful of the fact that these are real things that matter. So I don't think we have that many helicoptery parents that listen, <laughs> but I'm, I think that there's a couple that are going, 
real danger, right? Like, right. I don't, I don't trust stuff that I build for myself, right? So you're letting kids play on big giant things that they build. Yes. Do they get helmets? No, no, they don't. But they're mindful of the problems that could occur, right? So um, we test it out. We also also um, spend a lot of time saying, like, look, if it if you mess up. That's good. That means that you tried something really outrageous. Yeah. A whopper mistake is something that we celebrate, like because that's something that we don't do in regular education. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do poorly on something, you are treated poorly. In tinkering school and Papa Park and all the other f- programs that we're working with, um, if you do something poorly or you do something too big and you make a mistake, we celebrate that because that means that you pushed yourself farther than you ever thought. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's really neat. Yeah. Can you tell us about some of the stuff that kids have made and built? And Yeah, we've, we really enjoy playgrounds. And I think it kind of just becomes a thing for kids because they love playgrounds and they don't get to play on really dangerous playgrounds. Uh, they play on plastic playgrounds that go about, you know, two feet down from a slide and it's very structured and it's very safe. So they do things like climbing walls, we've done climbing walls, seesaws, um, parkour uh, courses where they basically just build tires on top of tires and they jump through tires and they jump around wood and so it's really, and it evolves, right? So one of the things that I like from Tinkering School and Pop Park that I work with, we provide a lot of time for kids to build, and we provide a lot of time for them to play. So as you provide time and support, things evolve into something even better, right? So they, they do their first build, and it's kind of wonky. Then they, they add to it, and they add more to it, and it becomes this spectacular building phenomenon, right? Uh, almost, uh, you know, almost it, just by looking at it, you notice that how it's evolved. So I think that that's really important, too, is we provide a whole day, sometimes three days, on a specific build, and they get really comfortable with it, and sometimes they get bored with it, and that's another thing, right? That we don't provide time for kids to be bored. We're so worried about them being bored, and from boredom comes uh, ingenuity. Boredom becomes curiosity and imagination, right? So that's another thing that we that we notice quite a bit. Yeah. So at, at the camp, like, is it is it? Com- Completely unstructured. Like, I'm so used to, I was a camp guy, so, like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's flag raising, there's breakfast, and then there's, like, an hour of, and everything is mapped out, right? And so you want kids to get bored, but is it, I mean, like, so what are we going to do today? And you just have a lot of open time. Right. No, no, we we spend quite a bit of time with the structure of non-structure, right? So it's kind of like they come in, we'll um, provide them with the materials that we've got for the day. They either work on a previous build that they have. Uh, we provide them with a new experience, so like a new skill that they need to know. Maybe it's drill press. Maybe it's glue guns. But we provide them with like a, a workshop of that. And then they're put into groups occasionally, or they work independently. We base it on kind of how the project's going. Right. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. So we do have structure. It's just not as... Um, oh, it's 11.30, it's time for lunch. <laughs> uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of like, oh, it's 11.30, if you're hungry, go over there and have some lunch. <laughs> right. <laughs> how, do kids, uh, how do kids react to that, especially if they're coming off of you know, a full school year and it's summer, mm-hmm. um, and they're maybe more used to that 
you know, rigid. Right. (laughs) Uh, Um, Is there like an adjustment period that you see them go through? Yeah, I think there really is. And I think that one of the things that we stress when they first come in is um, we instantly say that we trust them Mm. uh, and that we're going to provide them the support that they need to build and that we're going to give them the tools they need to work and we're going to show them how to work with the tools. So it kind of eases that anxiety of, wait a minute, you're not going to tell me exactly what to do. Right. You're not going to help me. Right. Um, we only help when we absolutely need to. So we'll provide guidance, but we don't get our hands on that build. That's something that they that they do, mm-hmm. and that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The confidence that comes from that is huge. I always say that <laughs> like a week after these camps or even at Pop-Up Park Buffalo for the day, they seem a little taller. Hmm. Like they kind of hold their heads up a little higher and they look you in the eye and it's significant. It, it really matters. That's why we keep doing it. Yeah. So I, if you scratch the surface, I think of this topic, um, one thing that comes up is examples from other countries, mm-hmm. other cultures. Um, and and when, I, when I first, you know, heard of this idea of like, the, the culture of play or um, adventure playgrounds. I mm-hmm. think that's what actually got me to first read about this this topic. Um, I didn't. I hadn't even thought like really given a lot of thought to the idea of there even being a culture of play. Right. It was just like that's. I, it just wasn't a concept right. that really floated in my head. But then, oh yeah, of course. Like <laughs> we, cultures have different foods. They have different ways of having relationships. There's gonna kids are going to explore the world in different ways. Um, so, so anyway, you, you, if you just scratch the surface, you see all these different examples. Can you share some that, that you've seen mm-hmm. um, of, um, I think when we were talking earlier, you mentioned um, Danish culture, for instance. Right. What is it like there? And Right. It, it is a very play-based uh, early childhood mm-hmm. of philosophy where kids are um, provided with opportunities to play, but the parents tend to not get overly involved in the process. And um, from what I've, I've read and seen, it's really about uh, giving them the time and support they need to play. Mm-hmm. And so they don't, there is no helicopter parenting. Uh, and it's a, little, it's a little unusual for an American parent to say, look, here's the things, you know, uh, take your time. Uh, and, you know, in a couple hours, come back and, 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 and we'll talk about it. Uh, so it's very hands-off, but it's also really uh, a very, an enormous amount of freedom for the kid to, to play on their own. It, the other thing that strikes me, and again, this is all like from things I've read, and then I just had some friends that spent some time, I think, in, in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Um, a- access seems like a really mm-hmm. big piece of the puzzle here is, you know, like they went to some, uh, they went to a bar and the bar had play stuff in it. So parents could like, yeah. imagine that, bring their kids. There were also playgrounds everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, parents who were just really comfortable leaving their kids, even their small babies, just like sitting in the sand and playing. But just the fact that there were like, there were so many playgrounds or so much access to that. And that's something I think that is missing, you know, yes. like, yeah, I can't, I can't agree with you more on that. And that's a great segue to Pop-Up Park yes. Buffalo. Uh, and Pop-Up Park Buffalo is kind of like a mini tinkering school for the day. Um, it was founded by a bunch of concerned moms, uh, architects, 
engineers, and we realized that there wasn't enough free, to, free play programs. There weren't enough playgrounds. There weren't enough opportunities to play, and specifically in urban areas. So uh, myself and uh, Joy and Marika and Crystal and all the amazing people I work with uh, decided to make this uh, program, and we've been in it for four years. So what we do is we're a nonprofit, and every spring to fall, we have uh, opportunities for people to come to uh, Papa Park Buffalo program. And what that means is we look for a green space in an urban area that is abandoned. We then look for recycled materials that we put in trucks and Jettas. <laughs> There's not a lot of room. Uh, and any, any car we can, and we bring it to a site. We have insurance for the day, and we provide T-shirts for the community, the kids in the community, in that area that doesn't have a playground, t-shirts, uh, lunch, and about seven hours of building and playing with bizarre materials. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is really important, too, is, you know, kids are used to building with blocks and brightly colored things, and we bring in giant insulated tubes and... Uh, wrenches and big blocks of wood and they play and they figure stuff out it's um so i i got to go to one of those oh. uh you had one uh <laughs> just around the corner from my house on on delavan avenue uh and it was a ton of fun my girls loved it but it was also it, it really was a culture shift and it was a challenge as a parent well i think it was a, it, it was a, it was definitely a challenge for my parent, like for me as a parent, like how much do I get involved mm -hmm. and how much do I like, you know, we were going to be there for about an hour and be like, what do you want to build? And right. they, I, I, I forget. It sounded like a dining room set. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was like, okay, we've got an hour. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? So like, but I didn't want to be like, uh, you know, so like, I, for me, like when you, when we talk about the pop-up parks, that's where like it turns from, oh yeah, this just makes sense. Like go let them play to this is a real challenge, right? Mm -hmm. To like think differently. And like, I, I mean, my, my girls were using hand saws. Right. Um, and the other thing that they had to learn, or maybe they didn't learn because I intervened too much was mm -hmm. like, just like. Patience and perseverance, because right. cutting a two-by-four with a handsaw takes a little while, sure right? Yeah. And getting it started is the hardest part. And then it's, it's like, is this ever going to be a chair? And I'm like, well, we're leaving in 10 minutes. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> uh, so let's celebrate our failure. I feel like that's what I should have said. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I mean, when you do these pop-up parks, do you like coach the parents and we do i mean what we normally do is we not only coach the parents but we kind of corral the parents uh to to let them know that it's okay that they're building with these things that we're you know we're professionals we'll, we will help them with the build if needed and just to relax and have fun and uh what ends up happening is they first uh for the first hour the kids and the parents kind of wander around almost stunned, right? Because they kind of can't believe yeah. that this is the stuff that they're to play with. Uh, I definitely saw that happening. Yeah, yeah. And so that hour of just kind of, huh. Um, but I think what gets kids excited is the tools. 
mm-hmm. and the opportunity to learn a skill that their moms and dads know or that they've seen on television, you know, all sorts of DIY programs. So I think that that's what gets them in to building is I can use this real saw. I can yeah. use this real drill. Um, we often start with a drawing. Typically, especially if kids are really stuck, we'll say, come on over here, and we have Sharpies and giant poster paper typically, and we'll say, well, what would you like to build? Like, let's just draw it out. And what could we use here that could help you with that build? Um, Often kids always want to buy, always want to make cars, but to have a car, you have to have wheels, and you have to have, you know, wheels and axles, and well, do we have wheels and axles? So you you spend a lot of time getting the kid to understand what are the parameters. What can you do? What's realistic? Right. Um, and then for the kids that just want to mess around, we can tell. So we just say, go just grab some stuff and start hammering. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see what, see what you come up with. So if someone is listening to this that's not in Buffalo or Western New York, mm-hmm. they don't have a tinkering school, um, do you have any – are there any examples you see out there of people – creating this kind of mm-hmm. culture in their community or you know how do they how do people get started I think that uh, I notice a lot more pop-up uh, programs going on across the country and it's um, just as easy as getting a couple like-minded people together at your kitchen table and talking about how you want to start some type of play program uh, and where you would want to do it I notice a lot of places have you know come to my house from one to five and we'll play in my backyard and here's the stuff. Um, another awesome opportunity, and it's really inexpensive, is to do something like the Cardboard Challenge, which um, started with uh, the little boy um, who made that. Yeah, they made the. He built the arcade. Right, right, and it's called Kane's Arcade. And so, pop, uh, so the Cardboard Challenge became was inspired by Kane's Arcade, and so a Cardboard Challenge is essentially, you know, you take as much cardboard as you have, you put a couple little, you know loose parts next to it and you get kids to build something with cardboard and buttons and uh, scarves and things like that. Things that you would feel comfortable leaving your child with, right? So if you don't feel comfortable with saws and drills, you start off with cardboard. Uh, And that's a very easy thing. And I see that a lot across the country. People are using that. So do you, like, would you recommend that a parent See, and this is, see, this is where it's so hard. Like, do you model for your kids what mm-hmm. they could build? Or you just sort of say, like, do it. I, I don't know. I'm just yeah. thinking of. I love that you use model because I think that that is really significant in some of the problems we have in education, right? So if you are a teacher and you have a project, you are to model every single step in order to get the specific build that looks exactly like the teachers, right? And so where's the creativity? Where's the problem solving? All of that sort of interesting curiosity of, wow, how am I, I going to make this is gone. It's stripped. So while I like the idea of having things out for kids to see what they can build, I would not suggest modeling anything. Yeah. And it sounds like your method of instruction is mostly like asking good questions, right? Like, how, how can we mm-hmm. do this? What, what could happen with this stuff? Absolutely, and, and I love that you said asking questions because it's really like open-ended questions. We'll say things like, well, what do you, what do you like? What are your things? And what, what, what could you make with this? And 
you know, if they say they like nature, well, you say like, well, what's your favorite animal? What kinds of things, you know, and, and then they get really excited because the more open-ended questions you ask, the more open they feel about the build, right? So that's a really exciting thing too. Is if kids feel really um, anxious and they're used to complete structure, starting asking questions about who they are and what they want opens mm -hmm. up a lot of creativity, yeah. So, um, in the spirit of celebrating failure, because uh, <laughs> that's a big thing. Like, oh, I love yeah. that, like, not just in tinkering, but, oh, like, yeah. in life. Um, so, I'm guessing that there's probably, uh, in your history and in your development, a spectacular failure with the, with this movement, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, my gosh, there's been, I, I mean, the, every time we do it, there's been a whopper of a problem in some way. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we would do things like, um, sometimes I wouldn't know the kind of material, like what would work with things, and I would hammer through something, which would hammer through, you know, the sidewalk, which bent my drills. I mean, there were all sorts of things. I'm constantly doing things like, well, let's try it. Oh, gosh, that was a bad idea. You know? <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, and, and I, like, I like doing builds that I've never done before with kids because the enthusiasm is authentic, right, and, and I will screw up. Mm -hmm. And so the kids will say, wow, she, she made a whopper mistake. And <laughs> she's human because she made it and she's significantly older than me. So I do like making mistakes, particularly in front of kids, because mm -hmm. I think it eases that anxiety for them. Yeah. Uh, and also, you know, it makes me feel good. <laughs> like I'm helping kids by making that giant mistake. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I've been involved in uh, some some teaching and performing aspects mm -hmm. that are like interactive and we're actually sometimes coached to early on intentionally make a mistake. Sure. Just to model that it's okay. And right. we made a mistake and look, now we keep going. You know? Right, exactly. I think that's really I think that's really significant. It really helps kids. Yeah. So we talked about, you know, we've talked a lot about this being something that parents, like parents need to work on, right? Mm -hmm. And shifting, um, shifting their expectations and, and, and their behavior. Mm -hmm. But I also, one thing I thought of is that I've had a lot of mostly private confessional <laughs> conversations with parents, mm -hmm. like other parents, about how some of them really don't like the pressure of having to play with their kids all the time. They're right. like, I don't actually really want to play kitchen for an hour. No. Like it, it drives them crazy. And they're like, I feel like a bad parent. And there's, and then they start to feel ashamed and mm -hmm. they have guilt and, um, and, and I don't know, this isn't really even a question just as much as an observation that I think that parents don't benefit from this either. Right. I absolutely, I, th I think that's really fascinating. It's true. You watch that where, where parents get frustrated and kids get more needy, right. and then it becomes this vicious cycle, right? So kids want to play with the parents, but the parents don't want to play. So the kids are thinking, well, maybe play is not that great, and maybe I shouldn't be playing. And and you know, and that just the constant dependence of of getting a, an adult to play with them and getting an adult's sort of advice uh, causes play to become a little corrupt, mm -hmm. right? Like it causes play to not be what it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard a quote that I love where it says that like play is what kids are kids do when they're not being told what to do, and I think that that's really important for play. Is how many times do we talk to kids about what they have to do in school and at home, and play gives them that freedom to do what they want to do. Right. Um, what the other side of that coin of like 
you know, parents not wanting to play is my role at, um, in the Museum of Science, I will watch kids play, and what I notice is parents want to play as much as kids. And I think that, and a lot of the parents are in their 20s and 30s, mm -hmm. and I think that play hasn't been a part of their lives, right. and so they want it back, right? And, and I understand that. Uh, so I'm hoping that we start doing play for adults. Yeah. We start having play, play events for adults in building, in crafts, in maker spaces, I think are an exact, like a great example of play for mm -hmm. adults uh, in a lot of ways. Right. So yeah, it's, um, it's much more significant than, um, than we think it is yeah. as far as play. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so yeah, you've just got me thinking about, about all the different play, right? And, um, there, and, and of course they overlap, right? But, but we've been talking a lot about like making things play, mm -hmm. right? And then there's like, um, like characters and stories and like pretend play, right? And then there's also like body, like roughhousing, like mm -hmm. wrestling and playing tag play. And, and I'm wondering if it, it it sounds like your focus is more on the making stuff play, but can you talk a little bit about yeah. the interactions between the is and I don't even know if types of play is the right way to like right. categorize these different plays. Right. I would put that all under the umbrella of play, right? That that I focus on building because that's just kind of what I've gotten myself into. But uh imaginative play is uh and draw and uh you know, dra dramatic play is hugely important uh, for kids, and they and they can happen simultaneously, right? So, um, although I focus on building, often kids will say, you know, this is a treehouse, and it's clearly not a treehouse. It's <laughs> it's you know a, a big old looks like a big old bookcase, right? So that's imaginative play. Um, one of the things that I find um, throughout all of actually all of Europe and U.S. is um, called pop-up adventure play. And uh, my friends in UK, Susanna and Morgan, started a program where kids get boxes and they get scarves and loose parts, and it's very imaginative. So they put together zip lines with, you know, giant tablecloths and things like that. And that's that's play, and that's really important for kids, particularly zero, like, you know, zero to three. So those imagine plays seem to be really great for younger kids. Mm -hmm. And then as you get older, you want a little bit more real, right? You want, um, you want it to look like what you have in your house or um, be adult-like. So that play kind of evolves into building. And then the tussle play is also super important, right, for motor skills in particular. Mm -hmm. So that is, and it, and it also is very important. It teaches self-regulation and social skills that, that kids often lack these days is they don't understand cues because they are, I really think it's because they're not on the playground. They're not sharing stuff when, yeah. when, they, when they need to. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that. I have one more question. Um, <laughs> so just to kind of come full circle, when you had your boys and you started thinking about this, um, and, and, and learning more and realizing you wanted to make a change. What were some of the, I guess, like, uh, you don't have to say like top three, but like, mm -hmm. what were some of the, like the best things that you did in your own home mm -hmm. to help shift kind of the, the culture there? I, I didn't let my home be too clean. 
<laughs> I let my home be. Wendy and I are already winning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone, just don't worry about your house. Um, yeah, I let them play with unusual things. Yeah. I would not buy the like typical uh, play set. I would pull out you know, buckets and mm. giant spoons, and I would let them play with the things that are in their house, and I would let them play virtually all the time. Uh, and when they wanted to something more structured, well, then we would make that happen. So yeah. I think that that was really important. Like your house, just let it be. Don't, yeah. don't worry too much about that. Um, I also tried to spend, uh, you know, a specific amount, of, like a, a small amount of time with them. So I would provide them with the tools, basically, and the supplies, and I'd walk away for a bit. And if they needed me, I would come over for just a little bit, and then I'd leave. And they, so you let them get motivated by themselves, right? They, they, they get structure by themselves because they think, okay, well, I have, I'm going to play with this. Right. And she'll pop in when, when she needs to. Right. Yeah. So, and then and it sounds like you, you let go of like this idea that playing with your kids equals loving your kids. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I did play with them, but I played right. with them in a, a very short spurt. Right. To yeah. just get them motivated right. to, to go on, right? Yeah. Uh, and that was really fun. Or we would, you know, they would play while I was doing the dishes. Or right. They would, you know, the, so the play was always around. And I think that that was really important. And we would go everywhere, right? We would go to zoos and parks and museums and uh, let them mess around with everything that right. they could. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, well, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, no uh, this has been... Yeah, this has been inspiring and enlightening for us. Great, me too. Yeah. Thanks so much. So again, thank you so much to Melissa. It really was a fantastic interview. Uh, I've enjoyed getting to know you. Yeah, I want to be a better parent. You are a better parent. <laughs> I feel inspired. <laughs> I, okay. I feel inspired means I feel guilty, right? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, person, place, or thing. What have you got this week? So <laughs> I wanted to have like something concrete because last week my thing was empathy, but I'm going right back to like some kind of emotional I thing. told a dad joke last episode. I know. You better come strong this I week. I got a real thing, but if you okay. go with this other like. All right. No, I'm going. So my thing is like a little piece of, I guess, like parenting etiquette that I learned from a Facebook group that I'm a part of. So it's actually the Facebook group for this podcast called One Bad Mother. That's very good. So there's another recommendation. Um, but they have this amazing Facebook group um, that, the th and the thing that is amazing about it are the guidelines that they set out. Um, and one of the guidelines is that if someone makes a post in the group, you, you really need to try to not give them advice unless they explicitly ask for it. Oh. So if they're venting, if they're sharing information about a situation that they're in, don't just like come at them with, you know, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Like, listen, affirm them, validate what they're saying. And I just, like, I didn't realize that that was not only the guideline I was missing from Facebook groups that I'm in, right. but also just life. And I think it's like being a part of a community, a community where that is an expectation has been really great. 
and has really changed a lot of my expectations and the behavior that I'm trying to like put forth when I have conversations throughout my life, lots of relationships. So I guess that's my, that's my recommendation is just to, to think about that a little bit about, um, that dynamic of, of automatically like giving advice when someone is venting to you and I don't know. In our show notes, we <laughs> yeah. need to post a link to the It's Not About the Nail video. Have okay. you seen that no. video? I'm not going to spoil it by okay. trying to describe it. It's it's completely on this topic, and it's beautiful. Okay. It's not about the nail, N-A-I-L? Yes. Okay. Like the All thing right. that you hammer at a tinkering store. Oh, okay. <laughs> I will post that. Okay. Uh, so my thing is uh, blood and platelet donation. Um <laughs> You did go strong. I like it. That's a thing. It is a thing. So, well, uh, without getting uh, too, like, sappy or emotional, uh, right before the last episode that we recorded, before you made empathy your thing, I was going to make this the thing because my friend Dave, who had been living with multiple myeloma for a long time, uh, he had died. Well, I'm sorry. So, well, uh, he had he had lived a good life, and, and we miss him, but we're going to celebrate him. But part of his life being as long as it was, was a lot of people shared blood and platelets with him. Uh, and so, like, I'm going to do my best uh, to make that a regular habit and a regular part of my life. Uh, I've said that before, and I do it for a little while, and sometimes they bug me and remind me, and I get back. Uh, but I'm going to be making a trip, and... Uh, any local listeners that want to give with me, you know, it's more fun with a buddy. Cool. Good one, Drew. Thank you. Uh, better than the dad joke. Yes. That's <laughs> all for this episode of Just a Phase. Uh, please don't forget to subscribe, review, and rate our podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, or whatever you use to listen to a podcast. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Just a Phase Podcast, on Instagram under the same name, and on our website at justaphasepodcast.tumblr.com. Just a Phase is produced by Whitney Crispell. Our theme music remains Urbana Metronica, the Woo Yeah Mix by Spinning Merkaba. It is used under a Creative Commons license. Right. Thanks, Drew. Thanks, Whitney. <laughs> <laughs>